We have come to chapter 28 here in the book of Acts. Uh, maps. We came to Crete, remember? We're on our journey to Rome. Um, fair havens didn't work. The storm started to blow them. They came down the claw to here, um, took down the, the sails, did some things trying to survive. The storm blows them this way. They don't know where they're at. 14 days. They're afraid that they're, pardon me, they're, they're afraid that they're going south. They don't want to get stuck in the quicksands on the northern part of Africa. And they get blown over here to Malta. The, the, our, our study tonight is going to call it Mylida. It's Malta. And there, they're driven onto the beach. The ship breaks apart on the sandbar. They all swim the shore, so they all survive. The angel told Paul that would happen here from Crete, blown on the storm, 14 days, no sun, no light, no stars, and they end up crashing here, and they're going to find out then that uh, they're on this island. It calls it Mylita here. So chapter 27, verse 44 says, and the rest, now the ship is falling apart. It says, the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all of them safe to land, is what the Lord, uh, the angel told Paul would take place. And when they were escaped, then they saw that the island was called Mylida. We're not told how they saw that or how they realized that. Uh, no doubt the captain of the ship may have known um, there's a big harbor there. We're going to find out there's other grain ships from Alexandria that are wintering there. So they may have realized one way or another where they've come now to Mylita. Uh, it's a Phoenician word, and it came out of a Canaanite grammar, and it means a place of safety. It means a place of refuge, the, the word Mylita. So they come there. It's 95 square miles. You guys, it doesn't look big on there. 17 miles long, nine, nine miles across. 17 miles this way, nine miles across. 95 square miles. Uh, and they end up on this island. And Luke tells us, we realize it's Mylita. Now, through this chapter, it's remarkable, Luke is going to say, this happened on the third day, then on the second day, this happened, then after three weeks, this happened, then after three months, this happened. And he's, he wees us and uses us all through the chapters. So obvious, he's eyewitness through the whole thing. He gives us names of islands. He gives us days it took to travel. It's so obvious that he's, you know, right in the middle of all of this while it's taking place. And it is just a remarkable record in that respect. So then he says, when they were come, they, they escaped all of them off the ship. They understood then that the island is called Mylita. It's Malta. So 14 days, 500 miles later, the other side of a storm, they run aground, and this is where they're at. And it says, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, 
because of the present rain and because of the cold. So these are barbarous people, barbarians, not what you think in our culture when we hear barbarians, uh, you're getting put in a big pot and cooked for dinner or something. That, that's not what this word meant. If you didn't speak Greek or Latin, and they as well recognize Hebrew, but it was made mainly Greek and Latin. If you didn't speak those languages, you were known as barbarous. It wasn't a put down. It's just the idea in the Roman Empire, it was another dialect besides the main dialects. This dialect spoken on the island is Punic, it's called, and it's a Phoenician dialect. The Phoenician sailors at one point really ruled the Mediterranean. And it was similar to had some similarities to both Aramaic and Hebrew. So Paul probably was able to make out some conversation with them uh, and understand some of the things they were saying. And there's probably some of them on the island that know bits and pieces of Greek or Latin as well. But by and large, they speak their own dialect. So he says, we're, we're, we're come to this place, Miletus, and the barbarous people, those people of their own, you know, dialects so, and so forth. Um, it says they showed no little, which means a big, they showed no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, 276 people, because of the present rain and because of the cold. So we're in October at this point in time, um, all of a sudden, these people have, you know, 376 visitors on their island. Um, it says they kindled a fire. In verse 3, it also mentions the fire. It's interesting. It's the only time that word for fire is used in the New Testament, those two verses. And it kind of means to heap a fire. Uh, some translated it a great fire. In other words, these people are coming out of the water, it's cold, and it's rainy. You know, this is bad enough that you got shipwrecked and it's cold, but now you're, you're out of the water and you're still standing in the water, rain's coming down. So they begin to heap driftwood and any kind they find, and they're making a huge fire there to try to warm these people that have survived the shipwreck. And hospitality was a huge part of the culture there. So they've got this huge kind of bonfire going, heaps of fire, and it's raining. But you all know that when it rains, it pours, right? That's what's going to happen here. Uh, you save up some money for a rainy day, and it rains. It's just the way it goes. So here's Paul. Julius the Centurion's with him. Luke is there. Aristarchus, the captain, uh, the ship's owner, whatever the crew was, whatever the extra soldiers were, and all of these prisoners on their way to Rome. And it says, these islanders were gracious to us. Uh, they built this huge fire as we're gathering onto the beach to try to warm us. And it says, and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he laid them on the fire, this great fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto 
his hand. So when it rains, it pours. You know, it isn't just that there's a storm. It isn't just as we're lost for 14 days. It isn't just that we see we're in this, the ships falling apart. It isn't just we hit the sandbar. It isn't just we all got to swim the land. You know, it isn't just we get there and it's freezing and it's cold and they're trying to build this fire. Then when you figure you're going to help, here's Paul. He's not above going out and working. He's, you know, he's the apostle, but he's a stick gatherer as well. So he gives out to try to help. And he must gather this pile of sticks. Now, I don't know. He's got bad eyes, we're told that. So maybe the snake was looking at him. He even thought it was a funny-looking stick or something. I don't know. But no doubt the snake had, you know, it was kind of in a, a state of hibernation because uh, of the cold. And it says here, when they got near the fire, started to throw on the fire, the snake, warmed by the fire, comes out and latches onto Paul's hand. Doesn't wrap around his wrist. With his venom, with his teeth, he latches on to Paul's hand. Now, you can make a rule in your own life whenever you go, even to serve, to gather sticks, even to help somebody in the simplest thing. There's never spiritual progress without warfare. Make it a bumper sticker. There is never spiritual warfare, I mean, spiritual progress without warfare. That's just the way it is for all of us. And warfare, you know, comes to us in different ways. The enemy knows us. He knows our, the chinks in our armor. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what gets us down. Sometimes something that's going to bother one person wouldn't bother another person at all. And, and I'm not a guy who likes to blame everything on Satan. I don't believe that, you know, um, Satan made me eat 12 donuts yesterday. No, he did not. You did that. Your flesh did that. That wasn't the enemy. But no doubt when there's problem, there's illness, there's trouble at home, one thing or another, um, the enemy doesn't lay off then. He doesn't say, oh, this poor Christian, I'll wait till they get back on their feet so we can have a fair fight. No, he heaps it on when we're down and out, when we're broken. He heaps it on. Now, I don't know percentages, so we're in a bad situation. Is 30% of what's bothering us warfare? Is 20% of it? Is 60%? I don't know. I don't know. But you can look at the most practical things that you might do, and here's Paul. You know, he's collecting sticks. He didn't have to. He was the apostle. He's helping. He's chipping in. He's grabbing sticks and throwing them in this big fire. He, you know, because he knows the Lord saved all these people. The Lord loves these people. Sent an angel to tell him. So as he's doing it, this viper, Luke uses the word, latches onto his hand coming out of the heat of the fire. Now, the locals understand who this is, this serpent. It says, and when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, because they knew, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth them not to live. These people knew the, sarp, the serpent. They understood it. Look, on Malta today, there's no venomous, poisonous snakes. People here and there have reported. There are many on Sicily, which is close, 
but not on Malta. But understand, by the time we're through this visit to Malta, there's a great revival on the island. Wouldn't surprise me if they all went out and started killing snakes after this. At least all of them saw what happened to Paul. And they say on Malta today, um, for every acre or something, there's basically 1,200 people, you know, the, the population on the island. So that's typical. So they, it's hard to come up with this particular type of serpent today. But they knew then that this thing was venomous and it was deadly. So it says the barbarians, when they see this, this venomous snake hang on his hand that they're familiar with, they said among themselves, no doubt this guy is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance is not suffering him to live. They see justice in this. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I remember uh, during one of the big trials on TV, it was a murder thing, and, you know, they interviewed one of these lawyers we see on TV all the time. Guy with long white hair looks like a hippie. He's a famous lawyer. I don't know his name. I hope I don't ever have to know lawyers' names, but I don't know his name. And uh, people were complaining, this guy's guilty. Shouldn't be getting. And he said, look, amongst lawyers, we have a saying. Nobody gets away with the big one. He said, because prosecuting attorneys over and over, we see somebody who we know is guilty, who is sentenced innocent, and they get, and he said, it's just invariable. Within a couple of years, they get cancer, they get in a car wreck, they get shot, they end up in prison for somebody else. So he just said, just amongst lawyers, we have this saying, nobody gets away with the big one. And evidently in Malta, the barbarians had the same idea. Nobody gets away with the big one. You know, we always worry about the guy on the island. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, look, you know, if you see a brother who's in fornication or an extortioner, you know, living in sin, don't eat with him. Don't fellowship with him. He said, I'm not saying don't, you know, you'd have to leave the planet to not be around people like that, but don't fellowship with him. And he said, it's, it's not our responsibility to judge those who are without, but to judge those within the household of God. And he says, those that are without, God will judge. It's God's business. The guy on the island that everybody worries about, right? What about the guy on the island? Nobody's worried about the guy on the island. That's just a loophole so you can sin a little bit more. What about the guy on the island? You know, again, wonderfully, one of our gals here I was on one of our missions trip to Africa, and she happened to be on an island, Lake Victoria, where we're talking to this guy who never heard about Jesus. And she says, as I'm talking to him, the Lord said to me, what about the guy on the island? <laughs> he sent me all around the world to talk to him. So these barbarians are saying this is justice. No, he, you know, he's 276 of them survives this. They survived the storm. But this guy should have been one of them, you know. The justice brought all these other people to safety, but they should have been 275 and not 276. So the guy's not getting away with it. Though he survived the storm, they say here, you know, vengeance is not suffering, justice is not suffering to live. But Paul, and I love Paul, says he shook off the beast into the fire. <laughs> he didn't say, I wonder if this is an endangered species, you know, just, you know. <laughs> 
he takes the takes the snake and wings it into the fire where, where, where all poisonous snakes should go. A couple other creatures too I won't mention. It says he shakes the beast off into the fire. It says he felt no harm. Howbeit they looked, and when he should have swollen up or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they looked for a great while, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said, you know, he's a god. (laughs) You know, never trust in flesh. You know, the Bible tells us that we can't trust in human beings because one minute, you know, they're singing Hosanna. And a couple of days later, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him here even more quickly. You know, well, in Lystra, they said, this is, you know, this is Apollos. And, you know, the, the, when, when the crippled man was healed, they're gods. And then a few, a few sentences later, they stone him. He says, we're not gods, okay? They stone him. Here, they say, this guy's a murderer. That's why the snake bit him. And then a few verses later, you know, they know the, po- the, the snake is poisonous, by the way. He should have swollen up. He should have fell down suddenly. That's not for a friendly snake. Uh, they understand, and because it goes on and it doesn't bother him, and Paul must be thinking, you stupid snake, the Lord told me i got to go to Rome and give testimony, so he wings him in the fire. They see that. Then it says these barbarians, these locals, they said he must be a god. Now, what's happening is the Lord is setting the stage. We'll at least see part of why he's been through this terrible storm. Not all of it. It's hard for us to understand sometimes. And, you know, there are a host of questions that will never be answered in the first world. There are a host of difficult questions that are not going to be answered till a second after we step to the other side. Everything will be abundantly clear then. Um, But here, they all change their minds. They said, no, they must be deity. Now, when they say he was a god, they're thinking, of course, of Zeus and Apollos and all the pantheon of the Greeks and the Romans, must be a god. And it says, Luke tells us, now, in the same quarters, in the same area, were possessions, your translation might say it more correctly, there were lands or estates, of a chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. So, um, same area. There's a guy with great lands, great estates. His name is Publius. He must have heard what happened with the serpent. He, you know, and, and again, understanding this is a Roman grain ship, that there are Roman officers on board and Roman prisoners. And Publius is the title of the governor. It wasn't his name. Nobody names their kid Publius. You don't have a little baby and say, honey, what should we name him? Look at him. I think we should name him Publius. He looks like a little poob. Publius was a title like Pharaoh. And uh, they were on Malta. They're subject to the proconsul in Sicily. So he would have been accountable to the Sicilian up here, as many have been. And uh, 
knows that he needs to be hospitable to this group of people. So it says he had great lands, great estates. This chief, chief man of the island named Publius, he received us and he lodged us, 276. It's not just some say it's just Paul and Lucas and Aristarchus and Julius. No, the way that it's written out, he received us and he lodged us three days courteously. So the three days, no doubt, until they could find other arrangements and so forth. But he's got enough room in his estates to house 276 people. Honey, guess who's coming for dinner, you know. And to feed them and to warm them, probably dry clothes. No doubt he took care of them. And as they're there in the house of Publius, the, the Publius, it says, It came to pass that the father of Publius, like the father of Pharaoh, lay sick of a... The, the, the word there for fever means it's a rising fever. On and off, it's up and down it's a severe fever and of a bloody flux, which is a type of dysentery um, of the worst kind. Uh, at Malta today, there's still a fever that they'll get with a dysentery from goat's milk if it's not processed the proper way. Just so if you want to get goats for home, don't get malt and goats, evidently. It came to pass that the father of Publius, he lay sick of this raging fever and this dysentery, to whom Paul entered in and prayed. He laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, this is what it says here. Paul entered in. King James says prayed. It's an eritus tense, the, the literal, what it says, he entered in and having prayed. Not having prayed over the guy, Paul hears what's going on. He never just exercised the gift of healing without being under direction of the Lord. So he walks in. Here's the guy sick, probably close to dying. And Paul then prays, Lord, what should I do? Why are we here? We didn't drown in the ocean. What's the deal? What's going on? You know, here we are with this situation. And it says, having prayed, it says, then he laid his hands on him and healed him. The way it's written out, instantaneously. So you have this interesting situation. Here's Dr. Luke, and it's the preacher that's doing the work, not the doctor. The doctor's taking notes. He's watching this because, you know, no doubt he was aware with this type of illness or in the Mediterranean world that he didn't have any answers for. And you can, you can see why Luke stays with Paul till 2 Timothy, to the end of his life. Luke alone is with me. You know, all have forsaken me. It's, it's so interesting, must be, for him to see Paul seek the Lord, lay his hands on this guy and heal him, and at the same time know that Paul had all of these infirmities that Dr. Luke ministered to and helped take care of him because of those things. Uh, again, when we were earlier in the book of Acts, he writes to the Galatians and he says, you know how it was through infirmity of the flesh that I first preached the gospel unto you. He doesn't say, you know, in spite of the fact I was sick. The Greek is because I had this illness. This is what God used to get me here and preach the gospel unto you. So 
here this shipwreck is something the Lord had used to bring them to the island. Dr. Luke is taking notes of this whole thing that's going on. Here is this man. Now Publius is going to be their friend because he took care of his father and he's healed. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Now, here's the interesting thing about the the way this is written. It says, at that point, when this was done, others, I don't know what your translation said, King James doesn't get right there, it's the rest. Not just others, it's the rest of the people on the island that were sick came. Word spreads fast. Visitors, you know, you get, you know, nobody's faxing, nobody's texting, nobody's, you know, on Facebook. Word spreads fast in this kind of a situation. And it says, after this was done, Publius's father, when this was done, the rest of those which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Both of those are imperfect. They kept coming and they kept being healed. So you got to get the sense of this. And Paul's not just healing people. He's preaching the gospel. You understand what's happening here. He's, Don't thank me. You thank him. He's the one, you know, they're hearing the gospel. So driven by this storm for 14 days, whatever God's purposes were, you know, completely, they may never understand. But one thing they do understand is God loved this man. He loved his father and he, knew, he loved these barbarians. I'm glad that was true in my generation because I was a barbarian and he saved me. He loved these barbarians. And through healing one man, the rest of the island starts to come with all their infirm people. And it says they kept coming and they kept being healed. Imagine, 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 you know. Imagine this happening outside of children's hospital and word spreading and they start to bring them and they kept bringing them, and they kept being healed. Just imagine. That's our God, by the way. That's his heart. You know, after the trumpet blows, we all gonna be better and instantaneously, and I'm glad. All be 30 years old, that'll be way better, but you know, a lot of good things are gonna happen. So the demonstration of the kingdom here to these people on the island, they kept coming, they kept being healed, and you know there's revival as this. Paul's beginning to understand the storm because the angel said you must fall upon a certain island. Very specific. Publius is there. He didn't, if he just said, I'm taking you to Publius and his dad, Paul wouldn't know what he was talking about. But he said, you're going to fall upon a certain island because all of this was in God's heart. So they kept coming, they kept being healed. He says then, who also honored us with many honors. And when we were departed or departing, they loaded us with such things as were necessary. Because they're getting aboard, we're going to find out here, another um, Alexandrian ship, grain ship, that had wintered at the island and had stopped their journey. And after a number of months, they're going to continue now to Sicily, Ephraim, Puteoli. Then uh, Paul will journey from Puteoli up to Rome. 
So we, we have this interesting scene where the islanders, and how many of them had been healed, or their kids, or their moms, or their dads, they're coming to these people, and they're giving them what they need on the ship. Because again, Josephus said on some of these grain ships, there were as many as a thousand people on the deck. And when you got on board, you paid your board, you didn't get a room, you didn't get a, a bathroom, uh, you didn't get, you were on the deck. And if you brought your own tent, you brought your own food, that was fairly good. So all the, it says here, the islanders are coming, giving them everything that they need for the journey. And the Lord does that with us as well. He gives us everything we need. We might be out on the deck. We might be in the rain. We might be in a storm. But he's sovereign. He sees the other side. He loves someone we're going to crash into in the process. And then he says, as we're getting to, ready to move on, they honored us with many honors. Luke is saying, we, including himself, and when we departed, they loaded us with such things as were necessary. And then he tells us, so after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, back kind of where they were on a, on a grain ship, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Uh, in the Greek pantheon, Zeus, the main deity, he had twin sons, Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux supposedly were the deities that looked after sailors and took care of them in storms and so forth. It would be typical then for these Alexandrian ships and so forth to have Castor and Pollux on the bow and so forth. Uh, and it's the only ship Luke tells us about in the book of Acts, something specific like that. This was a ship that sailed that way. Now he says after three months. So we don't know, is this three months from the time that they came to the island in shipwreck, which would have been November, December, January, after those three months, which means they'd have sailed in February, which was early because normally shipping didn't begin till March 10th. Or did the Alexandrian grain ship get there after they wrecked and then after three months? Either way, it doesn't make any difference because the next part of the journey is short. You're going to see they're up to Sicily. So this captain may want to get his grain home to the Roman authorities where it's going to go. But after three months, it says, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. They were either painted on the bow or you've seen them carved out of wood sticking on the bow. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there for three days. So here we are from Malta up to Sicily to Syracuse. That's about 80 miles. And when they got there at Syracuse, for some reason, they stayed there for three days. Malta to Syracuse, 80 miles. And as they're there, three days, he tells us. Now, were there winds again? Did they all look at each other and say, we ain't doing this again? We don't know. But they end up there. It tells us it's Syracuse. They tarried there, Paul says, for three days. And from there, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. Fetched the compass, came to Regium, the very toe of Italy there. You see it? 
Let's really go from there up to Regium, which is about 80 some more miles. And they're there. Now there's this, see this narrow strip here? They're gonna have to go through this narrow strip. And sometimes going through that strip, depending on which direction the wind was blowing, you'd have to tack back and forth, but there were rocks. And it, was, well, it seems like they finally catch a southern wind and it helps them do that. You know, the Lord, when he wants to drive you on course, well, of course, for 14 days, has no problem. But when he wants to put a southern wind in your sail, there's no problem either. So they fetch the compass to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. That was ideal because they're going north through that strait. And we came the next day to Puteoli. So look, from Regium to Puteoli, it's, it took them... 14 days to go across here, 500 miles. Here, this is 180 miles to Puteoli in one day, it says. So that southern wind was a blessing. They made this journey. By the way, as they come here to Syracuse, Mount Etna is there, and it is a volcano active on and off. And then as they come through this straight here, right on the other side in this sea, there is uh, Mount Stromboli. You used to let Stromboli was something you ate. Mount Stromboli was also an active volcano. And then when they get up to Puteoli, they're in the area of Naples. And from there, they would see Mount Vesuvius. And Mount Vesuvius generally wasn't active. In Paul's day, it was covered with vineyards and it was beautiful. It was a large mountain. This is around 61, everybody kind of agrees, A.D. But in 79 A.D., 18 years after this, it turns into Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just Pompeii, but the cities around that are just incinerated and gone. And when that happens, Drusilla the wife of Felix, and her son are there. Paul had preached the gospel to them. They had heard the truth and power and in love. We have no evidence that they accepted. And one day it looked one way, and another day, who ever dreamed? Kathy and I, you know, we were married in Portland, Oregon. Joanna was born there. We lived up in the Northwest. And we would go up on uh, Mount Hood, and from Mount Hood, you could see 100 miles to Mount Rainier on a clear day up in Washington, and you could see Mount St. Helens. You know, there's some huge mountains. And uh, Mount Hood, you'd get above the timber line. It was so high, trees wouldn't grow anymore. It was above 11,000 feet. Remarkable. In one day, I used to drive past it to, to go up to Yakima to work. That thing went off, and uh, they said it was the equivalent to 10 nuclear detonations. What took place after it changed the weather uh, of the planet, it altered it for almost two years. The soot, when I went to Yakima, the soot was over an inch thick, you know, and it just all blew in our direction. So imagine this, Paul, th these guys are traveling, they see these landmarks and you never dream. You never dream one of them in one day is gonna change the life of everybody in the area. We live in a world that can change like that as well. 
And it says, the wind blew and we came the next day to Puteoli. And as we came there, we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them for seven days. So they come to Puteoli. This is the largest port in Italy. Uh, and the, the one, they had a big breakwater they built out. And there was one side where all of the ships from Egypt from Alexandria with grain came and they had the right of way. When any of the ships, and it was crowded, came in from anywhere, they all had to trim their sails unless it was one of the ships from Alexandria, they could leave their sails up and then everybody on land knew who they were coming in and when to get down to the dock and so forth. So Paul ends up coming into Puteoli. It says when he gets there, they encountered certain brethren, interesting, who desired that to stay there for seven days. Julius, I have to believe now, who we met back in chapter 27, verse 1, the centurion that has charge of Paul, I have to believe he's brother Julius by now. I believe the rapture happens next week. We're going to see Julius in heaven. You realize he's been with Paul when the ship's captain and the owner of the ship said, let's just go around, you know, to Phoenix, to the port. Julius listened to Paul and he agreed. You know, you don't listen to a tent maker, you listen to sailors. So he agreed. Uh, then the, the storm, uh, he much have, must have watched Paul in the middle of all that. Paul had that confidence. God told him he was going to testify in Rome, uh, chapter 23, verse 11. And then Paul comes and says, look, uh, I just feel, you know, I want everybody to take a break, get something to eat. The angel, an angel of the Lord of God, whom I serve and whose I am, he came and said, we're all going to make it alive to land. Ship ain't going to look like much by the time we get there, but we're all going to make it alive. And Julius is listening to this. And then, of course, as they get close to the land, the Roman soldiers decide they're going to kill all the prisoners. Because when they got back to their superiors of one prisoner, if 30 prisoners got escaped, 30 of those Roman soldiers were put to death. They served the sentence of the prisoner that escaped. So they're ready to start killing them because they could bring them back dead or alive and they'd be safe. And Paul kind of gets involved and Julius then stops that from taking place. And he says, no, look, all you guys who can swim, jump in, we'll meet on the beach. Other people float in. And he's standing there with Paul thinking, this guy, how did he know this was going to happen? And as he's throwing wood on the fire, this snake comes out, hangs on his hand, you know, and uh, he wings it into the fire. Julius, I, I believe, like that. And, uh, you know, he, the, the, the locals are saying, his name's Mud. He's going to keel over. He's going to drop dead. And nothing happens. Then they decide he's a god. So then, no doubt, Julius was with him in the house of Publius, saw the miracle with his father. He's there as the sick people from the entire island are coming and being healed. And the doctor ain't doing nothing. The preacher's doing it all. So by the time they get here to Puteoli, you know, it says there's believers there who want Paul to hang out for seven days. And it happens. Here's Julius who's a believer, says, no problem, brother, Paul. So Aristarchus, Luke, Julius, his soldiers, prisoners, they're all there for seven days, remarkably. And uh, 
no doubt you would love, I would love to have a recording of some of the conversations that took place in that situation. And it says, we desired to tarry with them for seven days. And then it says, and so we went towards Rome. Uh, your translation might say we came to Rome. The emphasis on this last part of the sentence, King James is the word so. The Greek is this, and thus. That's the emphasis in the, the end of the sentence. And thus we went towards or we came to Rome. Now, when it says that, Rome proper uh, is 13 miles in circumference, the walls. But R Rome itself is bigger. You know, we, we, here we have Philadelphia, but it's in the greater Delaware Valley where there's millions of other people living. The population inside the walls of Rome was over a million people. It's pr pretty much the same size as Philadelphia. So when it says we came to Rome, no doubt they're still well outside the proper city itself, but it's just saying thus we came to Rome after five months at sea, after shipwrecks, after poisonous snakes, of all of that, we came. It happened. Where God told Paul he was going to be, he was. And as they come now to Puteoli, now the rest of the journey up to Rome is overland. They're on foot, no longer on the ocean, on ships. They have to make the journey now on land. So we went towards Rome. And from there, from Puteoli, it says, we went, we, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as the Apian Forum, the Apian Way, and the three taverns whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and he took courage. So it's about 125, 130 miles from Puteoli to Rome itself. Uh, it's about 40 miles to the three taverns and it's 30 to 40 miles, depending on where you're coming from on the way down. So kind of halfway, the, in Rome they hear, the word is spread. The apostle has come. He, he had written the letter to Romans to them three years before this, and Phoebe had delivered it. So these Roman believers are familiar with Paul. You know, Paul says over in Romans that God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests that if by any means, he found out what that meant, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God and come to you. He had written to them three years before this and said, it's my heart. I want to get there. I want to, I want to see you. I want to fellowship with you. And now he says they're coming from Rome down to the three taverns. By the way, the three taverns, they're not taverns. They're not three bars, not the way we think. But they're three kind of hotels, three, three places of lodging. But it had a bad reputation. I mean, you walked into a restaurant there, and it was a star, the, the, the bar scene from Star Wars, you know. Everybody, it was, it was, but he's got Julius with him. He's got Roman soldiers with him. And now these people are coming down from Rome to meet him there. They're excited that he's there. Now, look, you don't have to turn. I will do this. At the end of Romans... Paul's going to say this, and so many, it's directly related to him. He said, three years before, he said, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church 
and is at Centria, that you, which is by Corinth, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself. Paul says to the church there, this person has been dear to me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, who evidently had returned to Rome by then, Jesus Christ. He says, greet them, they're there in Rome, who have for my sake laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but unto all the, but so do all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They have a home fellowship. Salute my well-beloved, my well-beloved Epinatus, uh, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. So there's a Mary there that knows him. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners at some point, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. So they were saved before Paul was. Of note among the apostle, he became co-laborers with them there in Rome. So when he writes this letter to the Romans three years before this, he mentions them. He says, greet uh, Apollos and Pilius, my beloved in the Lord, salute Urbane, the helper of Christ, uh, Stachus, my beloved, my beloved, again, salute Apelles, approved in Christ, salute them which are um, of Aristobulus' household, salute. So he knows he's not been there. He knows there's a home fellowship in the house of Aristobulus. Salute. You get the idea as we go through here. Um, you know, he says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. This woman had taken care of Paul different times. So you read the last chapter of the book of Romans, you understand he knows personally all these people that are in Rome. Many of them under Claudius were driven out. He drove the Jews out of Rome. And Nero, when he's in, he's been in over five years now, he's tolerant of them and lets the Jews come back to Rome. So no doubt, you know, Aquila and Priscilla and many of these Jews that Paul met on the mission field that are believers have gone back to Rome. He's longing to see them. They get word that he's traveling from Puteoli, from the port up to Rome, and they come to meet him. It says, they, he met us as far as the Apian Forum. They came down this road at three taverns who, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took counsel. He thanked God, I'm, I'm sorry, and he took courage. Imagine, did he see Junius? Uh, did he see Aquila and Priscilla? Did he see, was Phoebe still there? You know, just imagine the faces now that he sees and he's thinking, Lord, I am gonna give testimony in Rome. You said this. And it was something that he had longed for that was in his heart. You know, to get somewhere. I, I want to see their faces again. I know them. I love them. And the body of Christ being such medicine. You know, I don't know if you guys, you know, I, I was on the West Coast when the towers went down. I was in Israel when President Reagan bombed Libya. I've been far away from y'all and my family at different times when there are major crisis. And you're just thinking, I just want to get home. I can't swim from here. I, I got to get home some. I want to see their faces again. I want to be together. I just, you know, and just saying, honey, you know, just 
take it easy on the credit card until I get back, you know. Get the kids out of school today. Don't let them there. Get them home. Just And you feel so far away. And you just think what it is for Paul now to have these familiar faces coming to meet him. It's kind of a rough town, but he's got reinforcements. And it says they come on the Apian Way, the Apian Forum. By the way, the Apian Way went 60 miles out of Rome. It was paved. It had street lights. It had soldiers guarding it every so many miles. Um, they said at one point there were, I forget how many miles of crucifixes on the Apian Way. And people would make their way up to Rome. They'd realize all along, you do not mess with the government in Rome. You do not mess with the Romans. So a famous, famous street. It's still there today. If you go to Rome, and I haven't, but if you go, you can walk on the Apian Way up to the Arch of Titus and so forth. So and alive and you know at that point in time it was alive and well this apian way used by everyone so it says they came by means of the apian forum to the three taverns whom when paul saw he thanked god and he took courage and we came to rome that's where we're going this evening and we came to rome then, then the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And you think, what was it like here? You know, um, you read in chapter twenty. Uh, the elders of Miletus, the elders of Ephesus that came to the beach at Miletus, and Paul gives them a charge, talks to them, and it says at the end, they all fell on their knees and they wept. They looked at each other and they wept. What is this scene like with Julius here? Julius now has to hand him over. He had official papers. And how did they stand there and look at each other for a while? You know, did Julius shake his head and say, I just can't believe the last five months of my life, Brother Paul. You know, what was it like for these two guys at that point to look into each other's eyes, you know? You know, you, 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 you know, I, I have the privilege of having co-laborers I've labored with for 40 years and 30 years and 20 years, you know, just so remarkable. Uh, and I think here's Paul, finally gets to Rome, and now he's going to be handed over to the authorities in Rome. He's going to be acquitted within two years, but that means he was in Caesarea for two years in custody. He's going to be in Rome in two more years in custody. And during that time, he's going to write Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, you know, these things we'd have never had. And it seems that during that two years, Luke writes the book of Acts. He already written the former treatise to Theophilus, who Theophilus is either a Roman senator, he's a, he's a part of the hierarchy in Rome. He may be in Rome. And it may be why Luke has liberty to go and to visit Paul and to stay with him and take care of him. Uh, but this is probably, he wrote the former th treatise I've, I've, I've written to you, Theophilus. Oh, excellent, Theophilus. Now I write this thing of all that Jesus continued. The other one was what he began to do and teach. And now, and it may be that he delivered the book of Acts to Theophilus 
in Rome in that two years when he's there with Paul. So that's, that's two weeks from now. So uh, remarkable scenes, remarkable things, the journeys, the, and, and look, for all of us, sometimes we're in that storm. We think there's no purpose in it. Everything is out of control. That happened to me once in 1974. You know, you're just in a circumstance. You think, Lord, where are you? This is out of control. This is outrageous. You know what? Where's your love? This doesn't look good for you. I'm Pastor Joe. You should be taking care of me so people have confidence in you. You know, it doesn't look good when your pastor is going through this. So, you know, you go through those things, and it's always on the other side, isn't it? When you look back and you say, now I see. Because they say hindsight is always twenty twenty, And you think of how much you griped and complained while you were going through it. You know, Paul's going to stand in heaven with the whole island of Malta. He's going to stand in heaven and Christians all over the world are going to say, you're Publius? You know, that's not actually my name, but that, you know, you know, you just imagine, you know, the, the, what's going to happen there. You're Publius's dad. Yeah, I am Publius's dad, you know. Just imagine, you know. The hardship, the storm. Paul, I believe, would have gone through that storm for one soul. Because one soul is eternal. When one person gets saved here at church or anywhere, you lead someone to Christ. Eternity is changed. Eternity is altered. And Jesus said, you know, what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And he tells us one human soul is worth more than the entire world. But he uses the word cosmos there, the universe. What's it profit a man if he gains the entire universe and loses his soul? Because one soul is of greater worth than the entire universe. The entire universe is going to roll up like a scroll and depart. One soul that it saves is going to endure forever in the presence of the king. It's going to be something, ain't it? It's going to be something. Could be coming soon, right? I don't mean to be a wimp, but I'm saying, Lord, get us out of here. If it's going to come, you know, some of our brethren around the world, it's not going to be a surprise to them because they're, they're already saying, <laughs> you know, where are you? But somewhere in the world, it has to be like a thief in the night. I think this is a good place for that. Where there be a preemptiveness about it. So uh, let's stand, let's pray together. Read ahead. I encourage you to come next Wednesday evening when Dominic will be here with us. What a great guy and uh, remarkable, really. Father, I know you've overheard, and Lord, it's easy for us to look at these things on the page, Lord. It's much different to look at them in the mirror. Lord, we, we know, Lord, that our hearts long for you. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to apprehend with all the saints the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love towards us in Christ Jesus, Father. And so often we look for that love in so many different places and not in Christ on the cross and risen. So, Lord, um, be with us. We're your children. Lord, all of us that have children know at any time they're in trouble, they're in pain, their hearts are broken. As parents, we would lay our lives right down for them. And we believe that about you, Father, that you love us more than any of us love our children. 
So Lord, sometimes in the difficult circumstances, we lose perspective. By your grace, we trust you, Lord, to lead us. And like the people on this boat, they all got to shore alive. Lord, we believe you're going to blow the trumpet and we are all going to get to shore alive. And what an encouragement, what a hope. Lord, we pray for anybody here this evening is his heart is broken. Anybody that may not know you, Lord Jesus, that uh, they're tired of religion, tired of church, tired of human tradition and liturgy, and they're just ready to cry out to you, Lord. We pray that you would get your arms around them this evening, Lord. It was a chance maybe to pray with them or encourage them. Lord, we put this whole thing before you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.